Hi, my name is Marcus, and this is a companion podcast for the CG Jung Helpdesk Meetup Group. I host live events on Zoom every two weeks about the concepts and ideas of the Swiss psychologist Carl Gustav Jung. Every event I give a presentation about the Jungian concept, so have fun with this event's topic. Carl Gustav Jung was a Swiss psychologist, lived from 1875 to 1961, lived a long life, lived a productive life, wrote incredibly difficult books till pretty much the end of his life. Is a very famous figure of psychology, was himself very well regarded and also published scientist and uh, came in that way in contact with Freud, who started the whole field of psychoanalysis and they both were very close, but only for a couple of years then they fell out of their friendship and Jung went in a very interesting way. Uh, he went in a way to say, okay, everything that human beings are experiencing and producing gives an indication how the psychology works and everything is valid. So he delves into a lot of spiritualism, occultism, religion, mythology, and so on. And this is what many people also know of Jung and what makes him interesting because he takes it all incredibly serious and tries to understand, okay, why are human beings coming up with this and where is the interest coming from? Um, this sustains this because uh, we have myths that we still tell today, but are thousands of years old. At least that's what we know. Most likely they're even older. And he talked about a wide array of different topics. And one very big one is psychological types. And it's so big that he wrote a book about it. That's called Psychological Types. For those of you who are reading the collective works, this is number six. It's one complete, very thick book that he wrote over roughly eight years, and he published it in 1921, where he was uh, 45 years old. And he drew really from his experience of roughly 20 years of psychological work and academic work and therapy also to characterize people, to find certain orientations or functions that are the same over all human beings. And this is already a way to approach personality and to characterize personality. Jung was one of the first to do it in such big detail. And this is an interesting book because the first part of it is very long, 100, 150 pages, where he takes different psychological personality models from the past, from, I think it was Aristoteles, but also Schiller and other people to find commonalities between them. It's a little bit like a meta-analysis of different models that existed in the past. And from those, he uh, distilled those two types of orientation that human beings can have, which is extroversion and introversion, both terms coined by Jung. He is the father of those terms. And also of the definitions, which are a little bit different than what it's understood today, but they are similar enough to pretty much get, get the gist just from the name. In this time, in the eight years that he wrote it, he published nothing else. He worked on some side projects like the Red Book, which went unknown for many, many years. But in that time, he really focused on writing this down. And this is one of the uh, books that Jung is famous for in academia. Uh, and the book with the psychological types is also the basis for the Myers-Briggs inventory, which is famous in America, especially for personality tests. And uh, there is 
certain big overlap, but also differences to Myers-Briggs. Um, I'm not so competent in Myers-Briggs, but yeah. And to start with the psychological types, we have to first understand a little bit about the Jungian view of the psyche. And for Jung, the center of the psyche is pretty much the ego. German, das Ich, in English, ego, which is the center of experience. So what you are experiencing in your daily life, you do it from the position of the ego. And when you get unconscious because you're drunk or you're sleeping, it's just the ego not getting any more information. That's the way how Jung saw it. And the main question, of course, is then when you have the ego and around it forming the consciousness by having things that are associated with the ego. So everything that you know and can do and have experienced is a question, okay, how does stuff get to the ego? Because it's a pretty big world out there and there's a lot, lot to experience. And Jung saw certain channels, how information reaches the ego and thus the awareness that one then can have of things. And he found those four functions that would describe different ways how information reaches the ego. Uh, I'm going to tease a little more and start talking first about another thing, which is just a general orientation that you can have in the world. And here already this extroversion and introversion comes into play as you can have for Jung an orientation either to the outside world, to everything that's happening around you in the real physical world, so to say, and introversion, which means to look inside and more be more aware of the psychological realm and things that are happening internally. And as these terms coined by Jung are dichotomy as they have other points of interest and points of focus. So he very often just describes this as really a comparison as they're moving on a spectrum and uh, two extremes of a similar spectrum. And this extraversion would be to have the strong view into the world and this view into objects. And he contrasts us with the introvert who is focused on the subject. So on subjective experience, or the extroverted person would be rather looking outside into objects. And the extroverted view for Jung would be also a very detailed empirical view. He would say that extroverts would have um, a very good empirical understanding as they would rather look into details and see like fine-grained differences, while an introverted view is rather an abstraction to find more commonalities and describe things rather how they compare to others and find commonalities with other things. But an extroverted view would be to really separate into discrete, unique units of something. And extrovert would rather, of course, orientate themselves in the world and see the world as something friendly. Jung describes this as a big family, that the extrovert would rather see the world as a big family, as something that is not moving by itself, but needs to be moved, but it's always friendly. While the introverted view is the other side of the spectrum to say the world is moving a lot and it's moving all by himself. And that's a rather frightening thing. So a lot that 
Jung describes as introverted behavior as kind of protection against this free moving outside world that everything happens by itself. And this is why for Jung, the introvert is rather looking for stability and harmony, while the extrovert would rather have a lot of dynamics, a lot of changes, a lot of uh, variation. And it is this preference for the outside and this enthusiasm to be outside that for Jung means that the extrovert is constantly communicating their personality, that, that they can't really do anything about it. It's just how they are. They want to exert personality and rather the whole demeanor is relaxed while an introvert is more tense and would rather like to have impersonal communication and rather than talking themselves, let the work talk and is in that sense also more tense and careful behaving. And this is modes of operation and where the preference lies for Jung. So this is orientation. Rather, if there's a preference into the external world or the internal world, to come back to these channels where information can come from, Jung said he found four and he can't think of any more. And I will give you a quote to give you a feeling what exactly he meant. And these four channels are sensation, thinking, feeling, and intuition. And his quote goes like this. Sensation establishes what is actually present. Thinking enables us to recognize its meaning. Feeling tells us its value. And intuition points to possibilities as to whence it came and whither it's going in a given situation. And here he already has this pathway of information, how it reaches the ego and the psyche and how it will change. The first one is really this sensation aspect of realizing there is something happening. And all of those functions can be applied either to externally or internally. I can notice that something in the outside is changing, but also I can internally feel something like an emotion. Emotion comes up and I'm just recognizing this. This goes a little bit in this mindful aspect. This is quite popular. And this sensation aspect is really, okay, what concrete facts I can experience in the outside world. Okay, I see this tree. So the tree is there and this is free of value, free of judgment or thinking. It's just recognizing, okay, there's a tree and the sun is shining and people here and so on. The next step for Jung is thinking, which is to characterize something, to give something a name to say, okay, what is it? Ah, oh, this is a tree. Ah, oh, I can recognize this. I can recognize this emotion, for example, coming up and this is anger, fear, whatever, or happiness. And here he sees especially thinking as the thing that got cultivated the most in modern society. Um, but this is the thinking aspect. So this is kind of a labeling to recognize, oh, there is something, there's sensation and thinking, ah, oh, okay, it is this. The next step is feeling. And this is a complicated concept to explain because feeling has a lot of associations like love or tenderness or empathy and all those things. For Jung, it's really value judgments. It's, it's like a spectrum. On the one end is something, I like something or I don't like something on the other end of the spectrum. So it's not emotion. It's not affect. It's not love. It's really, okay, how do I stand? To that, I see there is something. I can see it's a tree. Okay, what do I thought the tree? 
I like the tree because it's beautiful or I don't like a tree because it's spring and I have allergies and it's all because of the tree. This is a value judgment taking place. And the last step for Jung is the intuition aspect, which is a little bit different from sensation in the sense that sensation is very concrete. You see the tree and it's just the tree. The intuition aspect would be to think about, okay, where is it coming from? How it will change? It's rather possibility. It's how Jung would say perception through the unconscious. You're perceiving things that are not really there, but could potentially be there. This is this aspect from, okay, tree is now a bad example because for a tree, you don't have to ask yourself how it got there. But let's suppose you come in an um, apartment and suddenly there's a bag in the middle of the room. And of course, you can realize oh, there's a bag. <laughs> this is a bag. And I don't care a lot about this bag, but okay, what, what's going on here? Why is there a foreign bag in my apartment? And then it's this concept of trying to find out, okay, where's something coming from or where is it going? To think of variations of possibilities. So this whole field of potential, what something could also be, except for the immediate thing that it is right now. For intuition, Jung saw really one of the roots of creativity and also scientific endeavor. He rather saw that people have certain ideas popping up and later afterwards realizing and thinking about how they came to that conclusion and not thinking about something to build towards the conclusion. So those are the four functions. And those functions, again, are sorted in little groups. Those groups are called irrational perceptive and rational judgmental. And this is the reason. For Jung, sensation and intuition fall under irrational function or perceptive function, which means there's something happening outside of you which, uh, which is unstructured. When you go outside, a lot of things are happening seemingly at random and they're just coming without any logic behind them. So it's just an onslaught of certain things happening to you. For example, you get a phone call and something horrible has happened. It's rational in the sense that you have not seen it coming. Not everything that you're experiencing outside or inside has a connection to everything else again, but rather it's very fragmented, very separated. And this perceptive way is really of perceiving something without any evaluation. So the same way as you're perceiving something outside and you perceive it inside, you can intuit also about things without necessarily giving it a value judgment again. And this is a he calls it irrational part, but perceptive is maybe better understandable. And the contrast group to that is, of course, the rational functions or judgmental, how we would call it, which is thinking and feeling. As thinking and feeling are two functions that are working towards a conclusion. So you're trying to find out, oh, this is something, well, what is this? So you try to think about what it could be. And you can also try to find out how you stand towards something. So what is my value judgment about this? Do I like it? Don't I like it? And this you could already write down in a sense and make an argument about it. So it's hard to make an argument about the things that you perceive. You can just write it down in a descriptive manner. But about the rational functions and the rational ways, you can make an argumentation and have logical consistency. 
And the main difference that's separating the irrational functions and the rational functions is the rational functions can be corrected by the act of reflection. And this is what often happens in therapy that it gets reflected about thinking patterns or feeling patterns. And by framing things differently and thinking about things differently, you change the way and how you think about them. And in that way, change your demeanor and your experience and so on. But it's, it's strange to reflect about, to, to have a change of irrational experiences by reflection in the sense of irrational, just things happening to you in an unstructured way. So this was already a lot of concepts. It's extroversion, introversion. It was the four functions and now it was those groups. And this is the groundwork to get into the concept that Jung had of personality, which was for him, these psychological types, as I described, not really a system, but rather as instruments. So he did not say that this is a way to characterize everything about a human being and say, okay, he's a thinker and he's nothing else, but rather that the personality is having a certain focus on parts. So for the orientation, extroversion, introversion, it's the same as when you play a card game, you get a hand of cards and you start with this one. So, but this does not mean that this is a whole game. You, of course, you play and you change and so on, but you have a certain start, starting point where you're starting from, which means that people are more inclined to an extroverted view or an introverted view just from birth. Same with the functions. He said everybody has their favorite function that came first and comes more naturally. And this is automatically the way how people will develop first with their strongest hand, same way as handedness is very common. There's a certain handedness also in these functions. And he used it as a tool in his practice, but he very often just used it as an instrument to explain situations and behaviors. So he said, it's not like a patient comes to him and he tries to find out the type and then only cater to that type. But rather, he would use this to explain to the spouse of the patient what is happening with the wife or their husband. So this is to make it a little bit more understandable what is happening in the psyche also to others. All those things are not exclusive and they are all on a spectrum. So you tilt more towards one or the other. And it's not like everything is, you're just extroverted, no introversion. And he also says that it's necessary to have all four. You need all four of those functions to make sense of the world and to make it understandable. This is the groundwork. Now, what will happen? I mentioned that there's a favorite function that everybody has, and he calls it the superior function. Superior meaning that people tend to it first. They invest the most time in it. They are most likely also successful in that. And if it would be possible, people would do everything in their favorite function because it becomes the most available, easiest, and successful way to interact with the world. So when you are a great thinker, you'll likely have some academic career that gives you money and makes you successful and gives you status and so on. So of course, the valuation on thinking as a superior function is incredibly high. This idea to say, okay, 
thinking is everything and the world is explainable by thinking and people who don't think are dumb and all the other stuff you don't really need is a limited view by the consciousness as consciousness itself is always limited and focused on a certain aspect of reality and this superior function plays right into it so our consciousness is rather small and limited in capacities when we want to experience reality according to jung we always have to focus on certain aspects but by focusing on certain aspects it's a little bit like light in the dark you fall into the trap of thinking that everything that is illuminated is everything there is nothing else and on the flip side of this superior function there's the inferior function and for jung it comes down to these groups of rational and irrational functions as they are blocking each other they're interfering with each other easiest example is the irrational functions of sensation and intuition when you are very focused on what something is it's harder at the same time to think about what it could be same if you think about possibilities it's very distracting to think about what it is so it's very more fun to let the mind reign freely and come up with all the possibilities and not get bogged down by this so this is also what he describes of intuitive people that intuitive people have a lot of fun with just playing around with all the possibilities and everything is interesting until you have it concrete in your hand and it's materialized as a certain possibility then it becomes boring and dead and so it gets cast aside and this is why it's always the flip side within the group that is the inferior function so when the sensation is the superior function the intuition gets into the inferior flip side way and this means that it's incompatible with the superior function and gets ignored and this ignoring part leads to that it, the function is trapped in the unconscious and then the unconscious this always means that it's very undifferentiated very archaic that people are not sophisticated with it because they're suddenly doing things with the wrong hand normally they do things with their strong hand but it's the same as brushing your teeth with the other hand or trying to write with the other hand it's not sophisticated it's rather primitive it's embarrassing when other people see it so people normally hide it away same goes for the rational functions that also are in odds with each other which is thinking and feeling when you trying to think about what something is it's very distracting to think about the same time how you think about it he attributed a lot of great thinkers with a certain misogyny against women because women would steer their feeling function and that way distract them from thinking same when you are rather of a feeling type and are more into aesthetics and into beauty it's then very distracting to think about what something is because it then robs the beauty of its magic so in that sense when thinking is superior feeling is inferior and the flip side around when feeling is superior thinking is inferior and the groups against each other don't have such a problem which means thinking does not influence sensation or intuition and other way around also and he really shows us as a same of like a cross and he would draw the line 
through the cross to show that there are certain functions that are inferior in the unconscious because they have not been tended to because I'm the favorite child. And that way, um, there are complicated ways how is said that people are trying to reach those functions that are unusual for them. And so when you are on this, your superior function and want to get into your inferior, it can't be done directly because the field of tension is just too big. And rather, he sees it as using one of the other group's function as an auxiliary function to use it. So to get through sensation to feeling or through intuition to feeling when thinking is a superior function. And the inferior function is really the fun part and the part of redemption, he saw, because this is a part that gets ignored more. So there's the most potential for development in a human being. And normally, people are very occupied by all the personal stuff that exists, so their personal lives and their personal experiences and so on, and living in the certain day and time and so on. And when they dig deeper into the unconscious, they pass this personal part of the unconscious and come into the layer which is called the collective unconscious, which is human nature and human experiences that existed for millions of years and even parts that are older than human beings. So this is already the, the frightening part where things don't really make sense and people have weird experiences, which is also one of the reasons why the inferior function is kind of uh, avoided because it's what, what's happening by using certain functions and by, by applying consciousness, they become differentiated and can come under the control of consciousness, which always means you can do them willfully. You can willfully think, you can willfully feel, you can willfully sensate. And when you don't do that, when it's practically unconscious, it means that these functions can become autonomous, that suddenly something starts thinking in you. When you not make use of it, it will get a life of its own and suddenly all those thoughts pop into the head, which happens then again automatically if it's your inferior function. And here, this differentiation aspect is really one of separating certain things. Jung's view is that in the consciousness, everything is structured in an understandable way and it has cohesion and is related to each other in an understandable way. But in the unconscious, everything is muddled. It's like really like a dark room. You don't know where one thing starts and the other one stops. So when you get one thing, you, it's like a string of clothes where you can't just put out one thing, but you pull out everything. So when people encounter their unconscious, they become in contact with a lot of archaic image, as I said, from the collective unconscious, or also infantile material or repressed material. And this is plays into the shadow aspect that Jung talks about and also is known for to have these functions that are not tended to be part of the shadow, which is the flip side of consciousness. As soon as you do one thing, another thing gets ignored and uh, falls into the shadow. So again, it plays into this inferior function that um, an introvert is struggling with his passions on an extrovert is hiding from his own psychology and his own, own unconscious and tries to 
always be under people so that they don't have to be alone and don't have to experience it themselves. And that a, a sensation-oriented person would not believe anything that they can't touch and that they can't immediately experience that a thinker is troubled by women. Feeling person is then troubled by thoughts as they can take away from this aesthetic part. And an intuitive person hates everything that is concrete. And that way shuns every time when potential really gets realized. He also noticed that highly intuitive people have kind of a veiled look that you're not quite sure where they're looking at or that they rather look through things because they're experiencing all the possibilities but not the concrete thing in front of their eyes. They're just touching the ground for very short moments. And for Jung, it always meant when you put a focus on something very hard, the other side will come through the unconscious to bring back the human being into balance. So when the superior function goes into overdrive and limits practically everything. As there are multiple ways to experience the world. You can externally, internally, and through the four functions. When the personality is oriented in the way that it only will do experiencing one part of reality and only in one way, all the other parts will push against it. And this is then what's happened with the neurosis, that there's a rift in the psychology and there's a disbalance and then uh, the unconscious will develop complexes and interfere with the function of consciousness to bring it back into a balanced state by putting the emphasis more into those parts that are disregarded. And people already do it unconsciously by themselves. As people have a superior function and they have an orientation where they are with their birth and where they're coming from, just as a structure of their personality, they're already looking out for the other side. So very often, people choose a partner which is rather the opposite from themselves. And he says that people are looking already for a partner that would take care of this inferior part of themselves. So the thinker would search for a feeler so that they are covering this ground and be an approachable way into this rather unknown territory. Also that people try to pretend to be of a, another kind of the, another function. He noticed that a lot of extroverted people would try and emulate introverted behavior by buying a pipe, getting glasses, stuff like that. I'm not sure right what the connection is, but something he said in there is that people rather would not be called out on their original state of being but rather want to communicate the stuff that is inferior to them. Also to be drawn to the, in these directions in general. He said that when the businessman marries or tries to find some hobby, that they suddenly start to get interested in music or art and so on to compensate this, because this is a rather a thing of experience that fell by the wayside. And this is already this compensation aspect. And what... For Jung, life meant and living is not only that you have this personality and this is now fixed. So you're an extroverted and you're a feeler and that's that. But rather it's a starting point. And how life rather should be lived is to experience in all those different modes of experiencing and existing. So the best way forward to develop one's psychology and to experience one's life is to go into those dark areas that are foreign and strange and weird 
and are common to oneself because the highest potential lies there because this is the area that's always got ignored and all the stuff that has not been fitting to oneself accumulated over time. And that's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of material because it's a lot of different ways to experience. So he says an extrovert needs to go into himself to develop as a person the same way as an introverted needs to go out and experience the world as an extroverted to become a well-rounded personality. And he says that you are still limited, so you can only function in one way. It's the same as your superior function, you, you like it, and you would only do things this way exactly, even when you switch to another function. You can still only do it in this way, only one function after the other can be used and can be developed or differentiated, as he has been calling it. So it's really this traveling through different ways of experiencing and living the world. Uh, which he calls individuation. As he said, this is a concrete way and most complete way of experiencing the world. So he says the psyche and nature provides these different ways to look into the world and you really need all those different possibilities of thinking about, uh, experiencing rather, one thing in a thinking way, in a feeling way, in a sensation way, intuitive way, and this also internally and externally, to get a grasp about one thing completely. This is like different tools for diagnostics or building a house. Like you can't build a house only with a hammer. You also need a saw and a screwdriver and a lot of other tools. But there's not only one way how to do things so, because every function has its limits and runs into problems where it can't be solved anymore. So the same in the, as a company, you can't have a company that's only salespeople. You also need a company that actually produces something or does HR and so on. And he saw the explanation why people have different personalities. So I think every person has a different personality and it's for all the people to come together, say what they experience about the world and how they, they really see it as no experience is really objective, but rather the sum of getting everything together is objective. And here... He saw this as, as this individual journey to start from a certain point and to live through all those different functions and orientations to get to a point where one is able to have all those functions integrated into consciousness and consciously available to act in a certain way, willfully. This is why he advised against characterizing people like that. Uh, he took offense when other colleagues of him said, oh, okay, you wrote the book over types and now you just make a type for everyone and all the types have a special therapy and that's it. And I said, no, that's, that's not completely true. For one thing, he said, it's incredibly hard to get the type of a person. It's very difficult in the sense that not everything is completely clear. It's completely possible that a person is not living in their normal state and not so describing a type would really be describe the superior function and the starting orientation of a person but when people had a wrong upbringing and had to live in another function through childhood repression let's say somebody is an extroverted but they were never really allowed to go out and rather were forced to cultivate this introverted view that makes them already neurotic when they cannot 
work with their strong hand. And this would already model it in therapy. And he said, this is a typical state. Then somebody comes into therapy, they're neurotic. And that makes it difficult to determine what type they are because you're trying to determine it by the way that a person behaves, but you don't know if it really is the consciousness and the ego of the person that's behaving like that. As neurosis means that you have unconscious autonomous forces acting onto consciousness. So what you could experience is not really the ego, the conscious side of the person, but rather the shadow side acting up and taking control over the person. And that makes it already difficult to determine what type a person really is. And it would also take him a lot of time sometimes to find out. The other side, the positive side, would be when somebody is already so well-developed as a person that they have conscious control over those orientations on those functions. This, in turn, is also hard to determine their type as they can use everything. So it's not clear, okay, what is the original function, the original orientation? And also this changes. He said this is not really fixed. It changes through life and the situations, what functions and ways people are living it. In. And it changes over the lifetime. And also with success, you would say, which also is a situation. Um, at that time, psychoanalysis, when Jung was working, he had to contact a lot with Freud. And there was also another one called Adler, who talked about the same thing as Freud, but not from a sexuality standpoint, but from a power standpoint. And he described the transformation of Adler as something very interesting because he seemed to be rather introverted until he got famous. And then he became very openly extroverted. And Jung noted that, okay, it seemed like he always was extroverted, but it was pushed down into the shadow. And he had to live through not his original way and mode of being. And he also saw Freud as a neurotic and said he's rather the feeling type, but with an inferior thinking, which caused him to write all this stuff, he said jokingly. So this, again, emphasizes this idea that this is not a system of really characterizing people, but rather to explain certain ways of experiencing and functioning, and also to draw out a journey for one, because this will be in the destiny, because the unconscious will always push for those stuff that is underdeveloped and which is in the shadow side. So you can already say when somebody is rather in the thinking realm that his fate and experience in the future will be that the feeling will constantly push against him to bring him in a balanced state and to bring in a more conscious, developed way. And these are the immediate ideas from Jung regarding personality and the types. And it would not be Jung if there would not be also some freaky stuff that came out later because this was written in the 20s and Jung lived till the 60s. And he tried to connect more of those ideas later with other stuff. Jung really tried to connect everything that is under the sun into some ideas that can be connected, starting with the psyche and all the stuff that the psyche experiences and produces, which is Almost everything that humans do. And the, let's say, freaky stuff is from astrology. He wrote in one book that he gets sometimes when he was very unsure about the 
personality type of a patient that he would get the birth date and hour and minute to get a horoscope for them. Because there's a whole topic about Jung and astrology, which is really interesting, and there will be an event about it in the future. But basically, the idea is that year has 365 days, 24 hours, and per hour, 60 minutes. And depending on one, when a person is born, down to the hour and the minute, this, this de defines their personality. So you already have it in the horoscope, but they do it on a monthly basis. There seems to be some kind of professional horoscope where you can break it down even more. And he would use that as a starting point for some evaluations of his patients. Of course, he was also very interested in spirituality, mythology, and religion. And a very famous motif for that is the mandala. And if you know what a mandala looks like, that is that the mandala often has four parts. And he really saw that as some kind of external validation that people knew that those four functions exist. There's four ways of getting information from the outside. And this was unconsciously codified in the symbol of mandalas. And that by evaluating mandala symbols that, for example, his patients drew, that he could see the stage of individuation that they're in. Because individuation, he said, is very closely associated to mandala visions or dreams that don't need to be a picture, but rather things in four moving on in clockwise, anti-clockwise rotations. So things that must not really be understood as mandalas immediately, but rather by looking at them from a more outside perspective. And here I saw these four functions working together. So we have a very nice mandala with all of those four parts working together. And he said, when it's not four, but rather three or two, that it means that those other functions are not yet experienced and rather in the unconscious and that their awareness is lacking in there. And this problem of something missing <laughs> uh, is something that you also notice with the alchemists that they have this basic problem of three plus one. It's really this idea of you have these functions and you can add from the other group auxiliary group, additional functions, but there's always this residue that you can't integrate because it's too foreign and too strange. And this is the inferior function because it's too dissimilar from everything else that he says found as a problem also in alchemy and also in the Christian church and the cross. And not in the cross exactly, but in the Trinity that it's only three and the fourth is missing. And the fourth, of course, it's a feminine aspect. So there's always trouble with the fourth. And he found this motive in different areas and documented all of this. And this symbolism goes further for him. When you go into mythology, that you can say, okay, human beings developing as a species started in a very unconscious state, similar as children, but more and more consciousness became active. This got codified in mandalas or pairs of four. In the early time in Egypt, when you had the four sons of Horus, where only one of the sons had a human head, but the other one had animal heads, calling for an animalistic nature because they are unconscious and not integrated and cannot be willfully used. And in that way are strange, strange and separated like animals and not human beings. 
And that this development of consciousness and of psyche and humanity brought more and more functions under willful control through culture, through institutions, and especially favored thinking in the modern world that there's a lot of this way of thinking about and experiencing the world. And he criticized that as that there's, of course, then again, the feeling, the moral part is missing. That is really this cold intellect looking at the world and rather thinking what is possible and what can be done and how to do it and not questioning if something should be done. So this age-old dream of humans flying immediately led to humans bombing cities and towns. That this, this moral aspect is missing that's normally happening more in the feeling aspect of evaluating if something is good or bad. And you notice that Jung tries to connect a lot of different things, starting with the psychology and starting from the fact that there's always been psychology with human beings around and that human beings are still similar, that we're not completely separated from that, how we were thousands, ten thousands or millions of years ago, but rather that we are now products of, of culture and of education. But deep down, all of these things are still working and happening and the requirements and demands of the psyche are still the same to push people in a certain direction and to be. But today, he says, conscious is so prevalent and has a so strong grip on experience that nothing else is allowed in. But the more you ignore the other stuff, the more it pushes, the more psychological problems happen, he says, and also the more unhappy are people because there's always stuff missing that should normally be there and be used. So um, this would be my presentation for personality and psychological types and all the implications that Jung saw for that. And I hope it was understandable and I hope that it was entertaining. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there are still a lot of questions because I just graced some things from the site. This was this event's topic. Thanks for tuning in. Doing an event, a discussion part follows after the presentation where all attendees discuss the just presented topic or other Jungian concepts. If you also want to join, find the group on meetup.com. The name of the group is CG Jung Helpdesk. Also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice. See you next time.